0: Now, over the last even several weeks here at church, we've been talking about this idea of Advent. And in fact in some churches they have the tradition of advent where the Sundays leading up to Christmas they'll light candles and each candle that is lit it stands for a certain aspect of advent and reminds them what we're celebrating at Christmas time. Now we're not here and we're not lighting the candles as some churches would do but this time this year I really felt like we would look at some of the different aspects that we are celebrating at Christmas time and what we call the advent season. And last week we looked at how when Jesus came, he brought hope, but today we're going to look at when Jesus came, he brought to us peace. And we look at peace because as we read part of the arrival or the advent of Jesus, we read this in Luke chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear." here we see when the angel announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, a multitude of angels joined in, and they said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace. And on earth, peace. So we need to consider today that when Jesus came, he brought peace. Now, before we dig in too far, though, let me just share this about Advent. We have said that Advent is the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event, The Advent that we celebrate in the church is obviously the arrival of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the fact that Jesus came to the earth that first Christmas morning, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. But there is something that we tend to forget when we celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas, something that is very important for us to remember, and here it is. Though we celebrate the Advent of Jesus Christ, we look forward to the Advent of Jesus Christ. Now that may sound a little funny to some of you, but let's never forget this, that there was the first advent of Jesus that we celebrate on Christmas, but there is a second advent that we are looking forward to. For Jesus, hear me folks, is coming again someday. Remember, Jesus even said this in John 14, before he was crucified and resurrected. He said this to his disciples in John 14, too, and following. He said, In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And look at this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. You see, Jesus made it clear that he was going to leave earth, but that he was going to come back again someday. Also, when Jesus was ascending into heaven after his resurrection, as his followers watched in amazement what was happening as their Lord was ascending into the air, two angels come and stood beside his disciples, and they made this, dis- this statement. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, these angels made it clear. That just as Jesus went into heaven, He would come again someday. In fact, let me just sh- show you this little visual illustration. All right, go ahead and put that first one up there. In we see first of all at the first Advent. What do we think of Jesus? We think of Jesus coming in a stable in a manger as a little baby wrapped in swollen clothes. That's what we think about. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. But we all know he didn't stay in that manger, right? What we all know is he grew up to be a man. He grew up to be a sinless man, the sacrifice that God had sent for us that he might die on a cross for our sins. After he died on that cross, he was buried, he was resurrected, and after appearing to his disciples, what did he do? He ascended back into heaven, all right? And as he ascended, the problem the promise was what that he was coming again right in other words we have a second advent where jesus is going to come now notice the different image i put up here We think of him as a little baby in the manger at Christmas, but when he comes a second time, we must make sure we understand. When he comes the second time, he is not coming as a baby in a manger. He is coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he comes that second time, he is coming to judge all of mankind. And when he comes that second time... Perfect peace will come with him as sin is done away with, evil is done away with, and everything will be as it should be. Amen? Now, we know between those two, though, there is a time which we're living. What we call this, we call it the church age. In other words, as the church, we live between the first advent and the second advent of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what we know in this time period in which we live. When Jesus came the first time, There were some things that were fulfilled and completed, all right? But what we look forward to is knowing that when he comes again, there will be other things that will be fulfilled and things will be completed, all right? Let's think about it this way. As a believer in Christ, here's what the Bible teaches me, that when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I was saved by Christ, in that moment, in that time, listen, my eternal destiny was secured. I know today, when I die, I am going to heaven. Why? Because when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, He saved me. He forgave me of sin and He gave me eternal life. The Lord saved me. But you know what else I know? I know that right now, He is saving me. Okay? He's saving me. In other words, I'm not perfect yet, right? Are you perfect yet? No, but this is what I know. The Bible teaches when I gave my life to Christ, God began a work in me where daily, really, I am putting off the old me and putting on the new me, that God is working in my life to transform me, to make me more like him. In other words, I am being saved in this moment. But guess what I'm looking forward to? I am looking forward to the day when I will be saved. Yes, thank you. When I will be saved because, listen, there's going to be a day, especially when Christ returns, that I am going to be perfect. I'm going to cast off this old body. Sin is no longer going to dwell in my life at all, and I will put on the perfection that Jesus Christ bought for me on the cross. In other words, I will be saved. And so there's a part that is completed in my life. There is a part that is working out in my life, and there's a part that is yet to come in my life. Now, here's why I share that with you, okay, because I want to ask this question. When the angels announced that when Jesus was born, that there was to be glory to God in the highest and peace upon the earth, did that really happen? I mean, did Jesus Christ really bring peace? Is that true? Did he bring peace upon the earth? Well, I'm going to say this. Yes, but not yet. Yes, but not yet. The perfect peace that we often think about will only happen when Jesus comes again and there's a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, can't we look around today and know that perfect peace hasn't come yet? I mean, read the headlines and we know that we're not experiencing that perfect peace already this year. The last statistic that I found, and I know this number is even higher, there's been more than 112 murders in Louisville just this year. You tell me, are there peace on our streets? No, all right? Look at the headlines around the world, and we see countries in civil wars or countries invading other countries, or let's talk about ISIS and the terror that they threaten and carry out. Is there peace in our world? No, there is not. If you don't want to get that in depth, I want you to just think about your own home. How many times have you found disagreement and think to yourself, can't we just get along? Amen. All right, thanks, Mike. I'm going to hold that against you, right? See we all have those times where we look and we say no where is it And we want to ask, is there really peace? We look around again, and we say, no. Where is this peace that Jesus supposedly brought? Again, let me remind you that in one sense, the peace that we all long for is yet to come. It will eventually come when Jesus comes again. But is there peace to be found now, in this moment? Is there peace? Did Jesus bring peace? And I'm going to answer that to you this morning, yes, he did bring peace. I'm going to acknowledge to you that the peace that Jesus brought is a peace that may be a little different than we think about, all right? But he brought peace. And to explain about this peace, I want to talk it to tell you about it in three fa- phrases, all right? I want to talk about the peace with God and the peace from God and the peace of God this morning. Let's look first at the fact that Jesus brought to the earth a possibility of peace with God, Okay? Now, I start with this one because let's face the fact that when Jesus came to earth, he came to take care of our deepest need, and that need involved our separation from God. We all, I hope, are keenly aware that we have this tendency to put God on the back burner in our lives and instead do our own thing. Do you realize you have that tendency? The Bible clearly calls that sin. The biggest issue that we have is sin in our lives, and because we have sin in our lives, are you aware of this, that the sin that is in your life makes you an enemy of God? Do you know that? Uh, see, we're an enemy of God, and when we're an enemy of God, I'm going to have to tell you this, that when you're an enemy of God, there is no peace in your life. Listen to what Romans 2 says. Because of your heart and intent heart, you are storing up, look at this, you are storing up, what? what are we storing up? wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. See, we don't like to think about this aspect of God, but because God is holy, he has to punish sin. And there is a time coming when God will deal with sin once and for all. His wrath is coming. Remember when I said at his second coming, he will come as king of kings and lord of lords? Remember I said that? When he does, listen, he is going to execute perfect justice. At that time, sin will be completely dealt with and righteousness will reign. And what we have to understand is this, is that our sin puts us in a place where God's wrath should be poured out on us. Here's what I know. If I get what I deserve from God, guess what I'm getting? I'm getting his wrath. I'm getting his punishment today. If you get what you deserve from God, you know what you're getting? You're getting his wrath. You're getting his punishment today. That's what we all deserve. I know in our modern world today, when we like to talk about God, we like to think of God as some loving God that he just loves everybody. I mean, he embraces everything and everyone because he's such a loving God. I mean, everything is great, Right? Isn't that what we do today? Y'all out there, right? But folks, listen. Is God a loving God? There's no no one more loving than God. You cannot love even more perfectly than God. God is a God of love, and his is an everlasting love. It is a perfect love, all right? It's a perfect love. Do you know that? It is. But let me remind you of this, all right? The aspect of God that we don't like to remember and think about is he is also a holy God. And because he is a holy God, guess what he has to do? Guess what he has to do? Huh? He has to punish sin. Amen? Y'all know that? He has to. And we want to forget that. But his holiness demands that sin be punished. It is stated this way in a passage that I've quoted before from Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the lives, uh, now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of what? Like the rest of men. You see, if we stop and think about that, if I'm a child of wrath waiting for punishment to come to my life, there is no peace in that, is there? Think about that. If you knew an enemy was coming that was much stronger than you and that could overtake you and you had no ability at all to stand against that enemy, would there be any peace in your life? No. You'd be living in terror. You'd be living in horror. Amen? Well, I'm going to hear to tell you this morning because being we are a child of wrath, it has done away with the peace in our life. Why do so many people have turmoil in their life? Because in reality, they're living as an enemy of God and there is no peace. So let's remember today I am saying that when Jesus came, he brought the possibility of peace with God. Is that right? Now, I think many of you know the answer, and it is yes. Consider just these two passages of Scripture, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? See, finish it out. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does it say we have peace with God? It is through Jesus Christ. You see, no doubt Jesus Christ comes to bring us the, the, the peace that we long for, the peace that we need. Jesus Christ came to, to take care of that separation that I had with God so I do not have to suffer his wrath. And just in, just in case you need it more clear, listen to what Colossians says. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making what? Peace by the blood of his cross. You see, folks, Jesus came as that baby in a manger to bring peace, but that peace was made through his blood on the cross. In other words, his death paying for your sin and my sin made peace possible. And let's not forget, folks, listen, it doesn't just come. We have to accept this peace. Maybe we have to, I'm going to put it to you this way, maybe we have to like sign the peace treaty. You know what I'm talking about? In other words, God has already made, listen, the peace treaty out. We have to sign it. And how do we sign that peace treaty? What are the terms? We have to confess our sin by faith and accept Jesus as our Savior, as the one who bought our forgiveness through his blood. Listen, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you try to make peace with God on your own terms and say, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to tell you, you're never going to find peace that way. If you try to make peace with God and say, you know what, I'm going to do it with the religion, I'm going to tell you, you'll never find peace that way, okay? You're never going to find peace because, listen, peace with God is only found through a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who gives us peace through his blood. In fact, let me simply ask some of you here today, if you're not experiencing peace in your life, have you truly entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? If not, for the peace for you, if it's going to come, you'll only find that peace as you confess your sin to God and commit your life to Jesus who can give you peace. In fact, at the end of our service today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to invite you today to come and say, I want peace with God. I want you to come and say, I-, I want to know Jesus Christ personally as my Savior. And here's being my promise to you. We'll take all the time necessary to help you understand who Jesus is, what he did for you, and how he can give you peace with God. If it takes hours, great. If it takes days, great. If it takes weeks or months or years, great. But come and say, I want peace with God. And we'll be, we'll be happy to share with you how Jesus can bring you that peace through his blood. All right. Now, let me also say if you're here and don't believe that God can offer forgiveness to you because of where you've been or what you've done, let me remind you that the message of peace that we see in Luke 2 was delivered to who? Who was it delivered to? Go ahead and say it loud. Some of you said it. Shepherds, right? And you say, what does that mean? What does it mean that God first delivered this message to peace of people who were shepherds? It means this, that God delivered it to people who were considered the morally broken and hopeless of their days. Think about this. Shepherds were considered to be liars and thieves. They were considered to be so morally unclean and bankrupt that they could not even testify in court. Their testimony carried zero weight because they were seen to be so morally impure. Do you get that? And those society that they lived in rejected them, God said, I'm gonna come and reveal my message of hope and peace to you. Why? Because God wanted the world to know that the peace that he offers is available to anyone who is willing to receive it, no matter who you are or what you've done. Folks, hear me. God is not just for the morally upright and the elite of our society. He is for anyone who will receive him, Okay? No, again, so therefore, no matter who you are, if you want peace with God, it is available to you through Jesus Christ. Now, many of you here this morning would say, well, I found with peace with God, but your life still seems to be missing peace. Well, if that's so, I hope you understand that when you find peace with God, it makes possible peace from God, okay? Let's recognize this fact. When you are living in hostility to God, it causes hostility with others. Okay, When you are not doing what God wants you to do, it can cause all kinds of issues. In most part, because when you are not doing God's will, you are really living a selfish life. And therefore, those around you are affected negatively. When you are living in hostility to God, you don't really care about others. Right? What is most important is that you get ahead in life. But what is most important is that you get all the recognition, that that all your needs are being met more than anyone else. And you know what? I see this play out around me all the time. I see it in classrooms, I see it in places of employment. I see it play out in churches. I see it play out in the sports arenas. I see it play out in marriages. You name it. I see this playing out all the time. This selfishness is everywhere. And where people are living in hostility to God, I'll tell you what, it causes hostility with others. But what I want everyone here to know that is a believer. I want you to consider that the peace that should come from God when you are at peace with God. Because when you are at peace with God, God calls you to be at peace with others. In fact, listen to Romans 14 where we find these words. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and what? Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever, look at this, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In other words, I I don't think it really gets any clearer than that. That for those who truly have peace with God and are thus serving Christ, you are called to pursue peace with others. And if that's not clear enough, why not try Hebrews 12, 14 that just simply says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which which no one will see God. So see, as a person who has found peace with God, I am to seek peace with who? Those that I like, right? You see, if I'm at peace with God, I'm to seek peace with those who see everything the way that I see it. I'm to seek peace with the people who, again, who are right in my eyes. I'm to seek peace with those who are, who are doing right in God's eyes. No, some of you already said it. Who am I to seek peace with? Everyone. Look, I just wonder if our world would change, or at least the parts of the world you touch would change if, as a follower of Christ, you try to be at peace with everyone. I wonder if home life would change if you strove for peace. Y'all don't have to answer that one right now, but I wonder... I wonder if your workplace would change if you strove for peace. Now, I wonder if our communities would change if you strove for peace. If every believer today here was a peacemaker, I wonder if things could be different in our world. I'm thinking, yes, because this is what I know. I've seen many people who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ that were anything but peacemakers. If that's you, I don't apologize for making it go, out. ouch. But I've seen that in our world. So many people who say, I'm a believer in Christ, but they're not seeking for peace. When God looks at us and says, we are to strive for peace with everyone. Think about it and consider this statement. You ready? The world becomes a more peaceful place when people find peace with God that leads them to make peace with others as they display the peace that has come from God. Do you like that statement or not? Maybe you don't like it, but I think it's true. I found it even interesting that just over about a week ago now, I went with my eldest son, Andy, to a grad school interview. He's trying to become a physical therapist, and so the next step is to get into a grad school and start that program. And so I went with him with an interview just about, like I said, about a week ago on Friday And as the the interviewees were away and they were being interviewed, they had a a meeting for the family and friends that were there. They were telling us about the PT program, what it involved, what it would be like, so we would know what it was like. And during during that time they had with us, there was a statement that was made. In fact, it was a statement that was made also when a student came and took the other students and their families and friends with them on a tour. It was repeated by this student. Now, I'm going to have to paraphrase it a little bit because I don't remember it word for word, but it went something like this. The good news about getting into the grad school program is that you are no longer competing with one another. Before grad school, you are competing to get the best grades and to stand above your peers because you want to get accepted, and to get accepted, you have to be better than others. However, in grad school, you are no longer competing because everyone who completes the program and passes the test gets their license, so in grad school, you are really helping each other succeed. It becomes like a family seeking to help each other find success. Now, I liked that statement. Do you? <laughs> Y'all are awake, right? Right? I found it a little refreshing, and when I thought about this sermon, I was reminded of that statement because of this. Before finding peace with God, the reality is we really do spend life competing against everyone else. As I said earlier, we want to be the best, we want to achieve the most, we want to be the one who comes out on top. Our selfishness, our sin has us at odds with everyone. Everyone. And again, this didn't put in my notes. I think I mentioned the first service, so I'll mention that. Even in our families, even with our spouses. Because then the problem, really, we want to be number one? Okay, enough. I'll, I'll go on. However, listen, a person who finds true peace with God You've really found the most important thing and the goal in life should be to help others find what you have, right? You are no longer concerned so much about whether you come out on top, whether you achieve or get the most. You are more concerned about others coming to know peace with God as well. And so your perspective on life changes because as you look at people, you now view them in one of two ways. Number one, as someone who is on the same team because they too are believers in Christ. And so you are seeking to cooperate with them. Or two, as someone who needs to know Christ, and so you have a deep compassion for them. Right? And when you view people in one of these two ways, there is no need to be at war with them. Instead, you are at peace with them, and you can find peace from God, and that peace with God inspires you to reach others for him and be at peace with them. Right? Now, as I say this, though, I want to be real this morning. Everyone here today has tried to be the peacemaker, maybe, and you realize it didn't work. Let me go ahead and just say, there are some people you'll never get along with, right? You can't worry about that. There are those people. But God wants you to realize this, and even this is not always easy because, in fact, can I say this? Becoming a believer in Jesus at times will cause you problems. Jesus brought this reality light when he said this in Luke 12. Listen to these words. This is Jesus speaking The one who came on that first Christmas to bring us peace, and this is his words. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. There will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That sounds like a contradiction, does it not? When we look to say that Jesus came and brought peace and now Jesus has said, you think I came to bring peace? No, I came to bring division. Does that sound like a contradiction to you? It does, but it's not. See, we've already seen that Jesus brought peace with God, and with that peace, we can find peace from God, but we have to make note that when you live for Jesus, there will be those who don't accept your faith in Jesus, and because of that, it will cause you conflict. Not the conflict that you cause, but conflict with those who refuse to accept the truth of Jesus Christ. And why is that so? Because in John 3, it says, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. In other words, for those who don't know Jesus, listen, they are living in darkness. And when you bring the light of Jesus into their life, it often makes them angry because it exposes their sin. And people do not like to admit their sin and their need for God, right? In fact, some of you might have read a tweet I put out this week. Uh, Or you might have read it on Facebook because I have my Twitter account linked with my Facebook, so it goes there. So you might have read it this week. It's a quote from Tim Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas. And the quote just simply went like this. The manger at Christmas means that if you live like Jesus, there won't be room for you in a lot of ends. Y'all get that? If you live for Jesus, there won't be room for you in a lot of ends. Again, if you understand what that means, it simply means that you, for some part, may be rejected as a Christian if you seek to live for Jesus Christ. And the reason that that rejection comes is because when a person lives for Jesus, it exposes the darkness that is in others' lives and it makes them angry. And don't think I mean this. It means you go around pointing out other people's sin. Oh, I I see that sin in your life. That's not what I'm talking about. It is simply this. When you live for Jesus... It makes a difference in your life, does it not? Do you live differently when you live for Jesus? All right, if you didn't say amen to that, we need to talk because there's a deeper issue here. But when you live for Jesus, you live different. And when you live different, people notice that difference. And that difference naturally exposes the sin in their life because they see that you have something that they don't have. And, folks, when they see the sin that's in their life, here's what it reminds them of. It reminds them that they don't have peace with God, and it drives them nuts, and so it makes them hate you. Do you get that? And so if you try to live for Jesus, I'm going to tell you, listen, there are going to be times that people will come against you simply because you're living a faith in Christ, and your faith in Christ exposes their darkness, and it's giving them internal turmoil. Amen? You know what I'm saying? Now, as I say that, though, let me go ahead and say this. We might not always have peace without, but we can always have peace within. As we consider the peace that Jesus brought, let's consider that What Jesus offers to us is also this. It's also the peace of God. And to me, this is a very important aspect. When we hear the word peace, we often have an image probably that comes to mind of of peace. In in fact, at at least what we think about peace. And for many, here's what we think of. When we think about peace in our life, we think the absence of conflict and the absence of turmoil. Isn't that what we think about? The absence of conflict and the absence of turmoil. That's what it means. But this is not the peace that Jesus offers to us. In fact, Jesus himself made it clear that the peace that he offers is different when he said this in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Okay? Okay? Jesus begins to let us know here that the peace that he offers is not as the world defines peace, but something much different. It is really, folks, let me go ahead and say you, it is a peace within. When he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid, he is pointing us to the fact that the peace that he wants to bring us is an internal peace. And one of my favorite preachers, James McDonald, put it this way. He says, peace is the calm assurance that what God is doing is best. And when one is assured that what God is doing is best, you can find peace no matter what the circumstance. Whether you're having a victory or suffering a defeat, you can have peace. Whether you are getting good news or bad news, you can have peace. Whether things are going your way or whether you seem to be hitting nothing but roadblocks, you can have peace. Whether that is ha- happen- what is happening in your life is giving you joy or whether it's causing you pain, when you are convinced that what God is doing is best, then you can find Peace and that's why the apostle paul even tells us this these words about having peace in philippians 4 when he says do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving let your request be known to god and the what peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, when we truly take everything to the Lord and trust Him, that is when the peace of God reigns in our life. In fact, if we go back to our opening scripture today, we'll find a, another way to describe this. When the angels announced this peace, let's remember how it starts. Let's remember Luke 2 13 and 14. Remember, this is what it said. It says, And suddenly there's with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, And what were they saying? Look at this. What were they saying? All right, now we look at that, and I've been talking to you this morning about what? Peace, and on earth, peace. Keep it up for a second, Emily, if you would, all right? There's something, though, that came before those words and peace upon the earth. What did he say first? All right, before he announced peace upon the earth, he said glory to God in the highest, which leads me to this statement this morning. You can have the peace of God when the glory of God is your highest priority. This is, I'm gonna go ahead and say, this is a hard place to get to. But what I want you to know is if you can truly get to the place where God being glorified in your life is the highest priority, peace will come. And why do I say that? Because if God, if you want God to be glorified in your life more than anything else, even if it means He is glorified by you having cancer, you can have peace. All right? If you want God to be glorified more than anything else, even if it means you have to change jobs, you can have peace. If you want God to be glorified more than anything else, even if it means becoming a missionary, you can have peace. If you want God to be glorified more than anything else, even if that means the death of a loved one, you can have peace peace, all right? If you want God to be glorified more than anything else, and even if it means you taking a financial cut, you can have peace, all right? In other words, if you want God to be glor- glorified more than anything else, then no matter what happens in your life, you can have peace. And I'll, I know some of you will want to debate me on that and say, no, that br- preacher, that ain't right, Okay? And the Apostle Paul wrote that back in, you know, Philippians 4. He, he probably just lived a pie-in-the-sky life. But can I remind you of something? That the Apostle Paul, who wrote those words, put the glory of God as the highest priority in his life, and it didn't cause him easy times. He wrote Philippians 4 talking about that peace of God that comes if we cast all our anxiety at him. Came after he had a life where he cast a demon out of a slave girl, and he ended up in prison. Because he was seeking to glorify God first, it meant him being shipwrecked when he was a prisoner for his faith in Jesus Christ. Because he sought the glory of God first, it meant for him being plagued by a thorn in his flesh that would keep him humble. And it was there, God never took it away. But because Paul sought God's glory above all, through it all, he had peace. And it is this same peace which is available to you, hear me, should you seek God's glory first in your life. Here's what I know. When Jesus came to earth, he proved God's love for us. It proved also that with God, all things are possible. Listen, if a virgin can give birth to a child, is anything possible with God? Yes. And Jesus coming to earth shouts to the world, you can trust God to do what's best for you. Because remember, he sent Jesus to do what? To die for you. And I guarantee you, many people, when they watched him hang up on the cross, they said, Well, this doesn't make much sense. His follower says, This hurts. Our leader is dying. He's been crucified. This doesn't make much sense. But God was saying, Listen, because I see all things, I want you to know this is best. I got it under control. I know what's going on. And what he's asking for you and me to do is what? To trust him and say, if you'll give it to me, I can give you peace because I know what's best for your life. You seek my glory, and I will give you peace. In fact, let me give you one more verse today. Colossians, it says this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Can you say today... That your life is characterized by peace. Can you? Can you say, My life is characterized by peace? If not, let me ask you, What kind of peace do you need this morning? Maybe some of you are here today and you need peace with God. If you need peace with God, and again, we're gonna have an invitation in just a few moments, and I'm gonna invite you to come down those aisles, get out of that pew, come down those aisles, take my hand or someone else's hand who will be here ready to talk with you and say, I need peace with God. And again, we'll begin a conversation with you about who Jesus is, how much God loves you, what Jesus did for you, and how you can have peace with God. Again, we won't rush you through it. We might not be able to finish today. We might have to have you come back and talk again in a few days or weeks or months. But listen, we want you to know peace with God. And if you don't have peace with God, why not you come today and say, I want that peace with God. How about peace from God? Some of you got some turmoil going on with others in your life. Let me first ask this question. You who say you have peace with God, are you bringing that peace from God with others? Are you being a peacemaker or are you cause of the trouble? We need to ask that question, right? Yes? And maybe if you're the trouble, why not come and say, God, help me to be a peacemaker? Or if there's someone who's causing you trouble, God, God, show me how can I be a peacemaker to you because I want the peace from God to come in this relationship, in this situation, and come and say, God, send us your peace. Help me to be your peacemaker because I have peace with you, and I want your peace to come, and I want it to go out of the air. So let's have that peace from God. Or if nothing else, let me ask you this. Do you need the peace of God? I will guarantee you there are people here this morning, you have something going on in your life, and it there's not any peace in it. Why not just come to the altar and say, Lord, give me your peace today. Help me in the middle of this difficulty, Lord, to glorify you more than anything else and God to accept the fact that you know what's best because God, I don't understand what's going on, but Lord, I want your peace and come this morning and take it, cast that anxiety upon the Lord and see if his peace won't come and give you this this, this peace that passes understanding because that's what God wants to do for you. Why not bring that trouble? Why not bring that hurt and say, God, I want your peace today and trust it to him and say, Lord, be glorified in my life above all. It'll be amazing to you that if you really give it to the Lord, Let him be glorified how he can give you peace, no matter what's going on. Or maybe this morning you need all three. Come and receive all three this morning. In fact, what I know is simply this. Jesus brought the peace to earth, and it's available to you if you're willing to receive it. Do you need to come this morning and receive peace? If you do, why not come? Would you pray with me, Father? I am thankful today that indeed I know that Jesus brought peace. And yes, Lord, not peace as the world describes it or the world tries to give it to us, Father, but peace that is real, peace that is lasting, peace above all that is eternal, and peace that will last for eternity. I thank you that you're a God that have brought the perfect peace. And so, Father, today as we come to this invitation time, my prayer is simply this, that people would experience your peace. For those that need to come and find peace with you, Father, I pray today there would be some who give their heart and life to you. I know nothing greater they can do at Christmas, God, to come and receive your peace, that peace with you. And so, Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, I pray by faith they would step out today and reach out to you and come and just begin to sign that peace treaty by giving their life to Christ. And, Father, for those who need the peace from you or the peace of you, Lord, I pray that they would come as well and seek that because I know both are available this morning at this altar. And I pray that they would just kneel before you, God, crying out to you, allowing you, the Prince of Peace, to come in their life and give them the peace that they're longing for. So speak to our hearts. Lead us, direct us. I pray because, Father, this invitation is always yours. And I pray for those that need peace, they'll step out and receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen.